You know, there is a song that just about all of us have sung in one time or another, even though you might not be familiar with the lyrics. You probably had some lyrics uh, sounding the same theme. I want to explain this. The theme of this song has been repeated in the Scripture by many of the great men and women of God. So if you've ever sung it to yourself, know that you are in good company. But it is my prayer that after today's message that you will sing it less, if ever at all. When you hear the lyrics, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Here goes. Are you ready? I'm not going to sing it. No one loves me, this I know. My adversities tell me so. I feel sorry for myself. Please join me in my self-pity. Today, we're going to conclude the series of messages, Fear Deceives But Grace Frees You Up. And here we find our hero, Jacob, now named Israel, at an old age, and he's feeling that the whole world is against him, truly. And he says so in Genesis 42, 36. I want you to turn that with me because that's a, a one-verse message today, although there's a lot of explanation I'm going to get into. Genesis 42, 36. Jacob said to his sons, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. Here's the word. Everything is against me. All. Everything. Nobody loves me. This I know. My adversities tell me so. Let me summarize the story because it will take too long to read it. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them immediately. They did not recognize him. And then he began to speak Egyptian because he understood Hebrew so he can understand what they're saying. But they didn't. It's not clear why did Joseph toyed with his brothers for so long, and you know, he puts the silver and the grain, and they go in there, and they open it, and then they go home, and then they finally found the money's there, and he toyed with them a couple of times. They go back and forth, and finally he said to them, if you're telling me the truth, and you still have a brother named Benjamin, I want you to bring him over here for me to see him. <laughs> oh, dear old Jacob. <laughs> I mean, he hears that this powerful man in Egypt, not realizing, of course, it's his own son Joseph, is demanding to see Benjamin. And he sees his whole world collapses around him. And he said, you have deprived me of the children. I think he meant to say, you have deprived me of my favorite children. At that moment in Jacob's life, he begins to feel sorry for himself. Have you ever been there? Some of you may be there now. Take heart. Let's be honest about this. We sympathize with Jacob. We really do. I do. Because in times of discouragement and in times of deep anguish and in times of fear and desperation, in times of depression, it is very easy to only imagine the worst. Am I telling the truth? It is very easy to get into what Spurgeon used to say, and he suffered from that himself, this long, deep tunnel that is so dark 
You know what I'm talking about. When you think you're going to see a light at the end of the tunnel, it turns out to be a train. You would only know this if you've been there. Take heart. Some of the great and mighty men and women of God in the Bible have been there. And they overcame, and you can overcome too. Amen? Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, she was so in deep anguish, and she got into this tunnel that she couldn't even eat. Elijah, whom I'm going to come back to in a little while, after a great victory on Mount Carmel, he goes and runs over a hundred miles to Mount Horeb. And there he puts his head between his knees and said, okay, there is nothing to live for. Moses cried out to God. He said, blot me out of your sight. Habakkuk really modeled to us what we should do in the times of trouble. And here's what he said. He said, there is no crop. There is no harvest. The sheep, all is dead. Nothing left. Verse 18, here's what he said, yet. Can you say yet? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will delight myself in the God of my salvation. Amen belongs here. Let's be realistic, okay? While Jacob was wrong when he said everything against me, we know that now in hindsight, but don't ever make the mistake of undermining that we have three very powerful enemies that are constantly conspire against us. And so when you say everything is against me, you are justified. <laughs> the Bible calls these the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're constantly conspiring, constantly working over time to get us down. But don't ever forget, don't ever forget that in all things, not just in some things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. What does that mean? <laughs> I've heard people glibly quote this verse from Scripture, really glibly. What does it mean? Does it mean we enjoy pain? No. Does it mean we just don't hurt? Of course not. Does it mean that we ignore the fact that the three mighty powers, the world, the flesh, and the devil, are constantly working against us, constantly fighting us, constantly trying to get us down? No. Listen to me, please. Pain is pain. Hurt is hurt. Suffering is suffering. And while these three enemies are constantly conspiring to get us down, God is busy turning them around. Turning them around, turning them around for the good of his children, for our ultimate benefit. Joseph in the pit, in part of his house, false accusations, and in the dungeon. These are very painful experiences, and he admits it so. Look at those three very quickly, very quickly. I'm not going to dwell on them. The world. Now, beloved, listen to me. If you cannot see that this world system is working over time to destroy the believers in Jesus, you are living in another planet. You really are. If you don't see how the world, the flesh, and the devil conspiring to get the believers down, you're on another planet. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself said in John 15, 19, because you do not belong to the world, the world hates you. Let me tell you something. If the world ever loves me, I start worrying. I really would. What about the flesh? 
Well, that's not the tissues and the blood and the skin and that makes up a, a human body. No, no, no. That's all the Bible called the flesh. He calls the flesh is our earthly nature, our fallen nature with which we are born before Christ comes to dwell in us. Beloved, if it were not for the grace of God, we are utterly disposed to sin and rebellion against God. Don't ever forget that. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. No matter how wonderful you may think you are, <laughs> it's only the grace of God that saved you. Joseph's brothers were totally controlled by their sinful nature, and they wanted to destroy their young brother. The third enemy that works against us all the time is the devil, the fallen demons. They're constantly working against us, especially if they can recruit the flesh <laughs> and the world and get them united together. Here's something I want to share with you, but I want to make very clear. It's a guess on my part. The devil does not know the future, right? He does not know the future. The devil knows because he heard those promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. The devil knew the promise of God that the Messiah will be born through the line of Jacob. He knew that much. But he did not know which one of Jacob's sons is going to be the one through whom the Messiah line will come. But when Joseph was favored by his dad, again, I keep emphasizing it's my guess, when he was favored by his dad, the devil probably thought, it's Joseph. It's Joseph through whom the line of the Messiah will come. As I said, I'm guessing here because you can see how the devil was so relentless in trying to persecute and kill Joseph to corrupt him, whatever it takes to get Joseph out of the way, because he probably thought that's the line from which the Messiah will come. And the devil had these ten boys in his pocket, as it were. So he used them and their jealousies to try to destroy Joseph. You notice I said to try? See, the devil might try. Circumstances could not have been worse for Joseph. Could not have been worse. But God, say that with me, but God, God. He turned them for good and saved the ancestors, physical ancestors of Jesus. As I said, we know now what the devil did not know then, that the Messiah was not going to be born from the line of Joseph. He's going to be born through the line of Judah. The devil never knew or even suspected this, (laughs) the devil would never have guessed that the secular, sensual man, (laughs) Judah, is going to be the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wouldn't have guessed it. Not until you go to Genesis 49, 10, when Jacob was passing the blessings on all the ten children, and he says to Judah, the scepter will not depart from you. And the devil said, oh, how stupid I can be. I was going after the wrong guy. (laughs) Beloved, like Jacob, we are opposed by three powerful enemies. But I plead with you, don't do what Jacob did. Jacob had forgotten the one who appeared to him in Bethel and said to him, I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, Abraham and Isaac. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. It is having a God like this who turns opposition into opportunity, 
who turns sadness into gladness, who turns trouble into triumph, who turns pain into gain, is our God. It's not that we're not going to face these enemies. No, no, we will face them. We will face them. You start to do something worthwhile for God, and He'll go after you. We'll face them. But our problem starts, and I'm going to testify to you in a minute personally, our problem starts when we forget how great our God is. Every time I get into trouble is when I look at my circumstances, and I look at the attack, and I look at the things that happen, and then I forget how powerful my God is. I get into trouble every time. The Bible tells us of an amazing, amazing story. I want to share it with you in 2 Kings chapter 6. After the prophet Elijah was taken up to heaven, the one who succeeded him, a man by the name of Elisha. And the prophet Elisha was there at the time when Israel and the Arameans were warring against each other. And the Arameans, which modern-day Syria, they were so powerful, they were so strong. The, the Aramean were more capable of literally defeating Israel in no time at all, except for one thing. God was revealing to Elisha the secret strategy of the king of the Arameans with his general. Every time they have a meeting of the National Security Council, God says, Elisha, here's what they're going to do. And Elisha goes and tells the king of Israel. And they foiled their plan again and again and again. The next morning, Elisha's servant goes out the house, presumably going to draw water, and there he saw the awesome, powerful Aramean army surrounding them. And he runs back to Elisha. Now, here's a use of translation. Don't find it in your Bible. Here's what he said. We are dead in the water, boss. We have had it, boss. We are done for, boss. We're finished. We've had it. Elisha calms him down and he says, Don't panic. Those who are with us are more than the ones against us. And I can imagine that guy looking at Elijah. He said, Well, what are you talking about? Who is the with who is who are with us? Have you seen these guys? Have you seen the horses? Have you seen their number? At that moment, Elisha looks up to heaven and says, Lord. Open the eyes of your servant. And God opens the spiritual eyes of Elisha's servant. (laughs) And all of a sudden, he becomes so stunned that he was babbling. When he saw these chariots of fire from heaven surrounding the mountains of Israel. You see, we've ceased to believe in the mighty God. We lean on our strategies and our clever techniques and our plans, and we cease to believe in a mighty God, a God of the chariots of fire. He becomes so overcome at seeing the power of God's chariots of fire. And that moment, God struck the Arameans with blindness, and then they took them straight out and handed them to Israel's king. Beloved, what is the thing that's frightening you the most? What is the thing that is getting you down all the time? What is the thing that's surrounding you that that you feel so defeated? Is it the world with all of its temptation and entrapments? Is it the flesh with its lust? Is it the devil with his malicious hatred? Sure, we all face him, but you can't stop here. Don't stop here. We know 
They are there. We know they are after us. We know that they are always in opposition continuously to the faithful children of the living God. We know that. But don't stop there and stop singing, everything is against me. Nobody loves me. This I know. My adversities tell me so. No, 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 no. Ask the Lord to open your eyes. Ask the Lord to open your eyes. Shout it out. Open my eyes, Lord. Shout it out. To see the chariots of fire, to see the power of God, to see the mercy of God, to see that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Beloved, the Bible said, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Say it with me. He who is Praise God. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. You say, but Michael, I can't see them. It doesn't matter whether you see them or not. They are there. <laughs> Listen to the Word of God in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How many of those? All things. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future or any power, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what you need to remind yourself when the enemy goes after you, which is continuous. Well, somebody here might say, well, I might not have sang the song, Michael, but I still feel everything is against me, and I feel that I'm standing alone. I'm all alone. I'm carrying the burden alone in my book. If God is in control, why is my life such a mess? I describe this condition as the Elijah syndrome. And you're going to read there, I said, you know what? It's okay occasionally to get into the Elijah syndrome as long as you don't stay there. Elijah, he experienced the power of God. He experienced the triumph and the victory over the enemies of God in such a way that even later, the half-brother of Jesus, James, in the New Testament, he holds him up as an example of a prayer of faith. He was like us. With all of his weaknesses, we see how he ran. We see how he hide. He confronted King Ahab. He confronted the prophets of Baal. He confronted the enemies of God. And God honored him by miraculously sending fire from heaven that licked everything inside, including the water. And God did so, and so many things in, in miraculous way for Elijah to affirm his prophetic calling. God did this to strengthen Elijah's hand before all of the people. I can truly say that in the whole of Old Testament, there are very few greater victory stories than Elijah's. And you would expect that this triumphal euphoria would be so exhilarating for Elijah to carry him for the rest of his life. But alas, he fell victim 
to the spirit of discouragement. And so he goes to Mount of Horeb, and he sings, Nobody loves me, this I know, for Jezebel told me so. In 1 Kings 19.10, he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They have broken down your altars. They have put your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Everything is against me. No one loves me. Listen to what God said. I love the Lord responding to Elijah. He said, yet. Say yet with me, okay? This is a very important subjunctive. Yet. I reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. And their mouths never kissed him. One of the reasons the enemy likes to convince us that we are the only one standing, I'm the only honest one, I'm the only ethical one, I'm the only one who has not fallen for immorality, and I'm the only one who's standing for the truth, nobody else. Number one, it's not true. Look at the millions of people who are literally being persecuted for standing for the truth and dying for the truth. That's not true. You say, I'm tired of standing alone. I'm tired of continuing to honor God. I'm the only one. No. No, you're not. When you're tempted to think that, everything is against you. I want you to stop and say to yourself, this is not true. Say it with me. This is not true. God is for me. And if God is for me, I pity anyone who stands against me. Jesus loves me, this I know. Forward then to battle go. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, Bible teacher on Leading the Way. Learn more about the global ministry of Dr. Youssef and Leading the Way by visiting ltw.org. That's ltw.org. Dot org.